This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. And I have another 31 Beats interview series entry for you today. I was joined by Samantha Pell to talk about the Washington Capitals. It was a really fun chat. I think you're going to very much enjoy it. It's one of the first interviews now I've done with a person who's following a team that's actually doing practice. Like, this is more like just not off-season content. So obviously, we tried to look forward to next season, but we also talked a lot about just the plan for this upcoming playoff run, which seems like it's actually happening which means, by the way, we're going to be doing a Keeping Carlson playoff pool just like we do every year. So I'll give you some more info about that at the end of the show after the interview. But it's open for everyone, not only patrons. So uh, yeah, stay tuned after and please come join us in the playoff pool. And we'll see if Ovechkin or Baxter or Kuznetsov or one of these guys is going to lead you to our championship. But okay, before we get to the interview, let me mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. I'm basically always on Frozen Tools, which is a Dauber hockey tool created by Eric Doust. I'm always doing all of my research for these interviews. I actually did a tweet yesterday. I was doing my research for the Caps, and I realized that the top five scores on the team were all players that they drafted. And I was curious, like, well, that seems odd, like, or rare. Like, I wonder how often that happens. And so I tweeted a, a screenshot of the top five players, and Eric responded being like, oh, that screenshot looks familiar. And yeah, of course it was from Frozen Tools. That's the place you go to see all this information all in one place, really well summarized. So yeah, I use that for my fantasy research. Also, DauberHockey.com in general, all of the articles there are always fantastic, really well done. They have a lot of smart people. So yeah, it's the number one fantasy hockey website out there. That's why we've partnered with them, because... We want to be presented by the best. So again, that's DauberHockey.com. By the way, my tweet was asking people to try to guess who are the other three teams whose top five scores this year were drafted by that team. So you could skip forward 20 seconds or pause if you want to think about uh, the answer. But uh, the answer is actually Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, and Buffalo. You might have been tricked into thinking Boston, but Tory Krug wasn't drafted by the team. He was signed as a free agent. You might have also been thinking LA, who look like it's all their top five scores are players who have been on LA forever. But Alex follow also undrafted and was signed. So there you go. There's a fun fact for you. But okay, I guess I will stop my babbling now and get to my really fun interview with Samantha Pell about the Washington Capitals. Enjoy, and then make sure to stick around afterwards to hear about our playoff pool that we want you to join. All right, here it is. All right, everybody, I'm super excited to bring you this next guest for our Beat Writer series. We are going to Washington, and I've got a treat for you because I've got the beat reporter for the Washington Post on the line, Samantha Pell. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like Before we even get to talk about the Caps, uh, we were just talking off air about how you went to practice today this whole new world of going to hockey practice during COVID time. Like, what's that like? Yeah, um, it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, at the end of the day, we're just watching hockey practice. It's just training camp. Um, but yeah, basically, as reporters, we walk in with our masks on every day. You can't take your masks off. We had our temperatures checked at the door. You have to fill out a symptom questionnaire every single day asking, you know, if you've had chills, headache, fever, 
all of that stuff. And then we just go ahead and we sit up at our balcony and we just watch practice. It's a little bit farther away than we normally are at practice, but I mean, you can still make out of Etchkin's yellow laces. So we're close enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome, man. I can't believe this is actually happening. I got to be honest. I didn't really think this return to play <laughs> was actually going to happen like a month ago, but here we go. We're like less than two weeks away from the start. I guess Washington doesn't have to, well, they're starting a round robin series. They obviously got this by, but yeah, there's going to be real playoff hockey happening really soon. I know it's kind of crazy to think about. I think everyone's now really starting to get excited. I think players are starting to realize like, okay, like a weekend, like maybe the NHL's really got this, you know, like maybe uh, we can get to Canada safely and it'll all get on a roll soon. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure most people who've been listening to these beat writer interviews of all the teams, like my goal has been to sort of look into next season and try to give people ideas of like how things are going to go for maybe their like fantasy pools for next year. I bet you now people are going to be listening, wondering which uh, Washington Capitals to pick in their fantasy playoff pools. So there'll be this extra way to look at it but okay let's get into the caps i gotta imagine this is a fun team to cover like this is a team that is always a perennial contender it looks like they missed the playoffs once in 2013-14 where they missed out on the wild card by only three points aside from that they've been in the playoffs every year since 2008 uh one cool thing i noticed about this caps team just from looking over their previous few seasons is their entire core seems to be made up of guys they drafted like starting back in 2004 when they napped ovechkin first overall then they got baxstrom in 2006 carl and Holtby in 2008, Orlov 2009, Kuznetsov 2010, Tom Wilson in, in 2012, Jacob Verana 2014, Ilya Samsonov 2015. Like these are basically all the guys I'm planning to ask you about <laughs> in this interview. Like I, I'm curious, out of curiosity, do the fans in Washington like take special pride in having so much of the team being homegrown like this? Yeah, I mean, like this is only my first full year of covering the team, and you can already tell from the very start. Like fans love these guys that have been around forever. Like, I don't think they can envision a Caps team without some of these big names. Like, you know, Backstrom re-signed this year with a huge extension and fans were just overjoyed with that because obviously they see Backstrom as like, you know, the heart and soul of Washington with Ovechkin. It's like that duo forever. And then you have, you know, Braden Holpe, you have John Carlson. Like you said, again, you know, you have Orlov, you have Kuznetsov, you have like all these players who've built up to this core. And now it's just kind of crazy to think that some of them could be leaving in the next couple of years. Obviously Holpe is a free agent after this year. So obviously we'll get into that later, but yeah, fans in Washington definitely love their core group and it's, it's a big core group. <laughs> Yeah, it's wild that they've been able to keep all these guys for so long. I guess it helps that people like Verana and Tom Wilson have only broken out like sort of recently. So they haven't needed those big contracts. But I guess we'll right. see yeah, how things work out once <laughs> these players get older. I'm definitely going to want to ask you very soon about Alex Ovechkin and what's the plan with him because his contract's up in just a year, which is wild to imagine a Capitals team without Alex Ovechkin. But first, just about the team in general. So looking at this season, 2019-20, another gem for the Caps. They ended first in the Metro, 41-28-8 record. Got them this buy through the upcoming play-in round. Uh, looking closer though they were actually even more dominant like at the end of January they were sitting at 35 12 and 5 then I see they stumbled a bit heading into the pause they only won six of their final 17 games Uh, any sense of what was going on at the end there with the team struggling to string together even like a couple of wins in a row down the stretch didn't seem like the Capitals team that we've been (laughs) seeing for the past few seasons it's like, like is this something to be concerned about going into this playoff run yeah I mean I guess to start just those inconsistencies before the pause you know this Capitals team was obviously built on a lot of offense. You have so much firepower, um, obviously, in your top six. You had John Carlson, who had a breakout year, you know, early Norris Trophy candidate, just blazing uh, with all of his points just in the first 11 games of the season. Already had 20 points. So, you know what? I think when they started to reach that end towards the pause, they were kind of running low in energy. I mean, these guys were just really fast and, you know, they play an aggressive style of hockey. They kind of changed up some of their systems this year. And honestly, when they got to that mid-March, uh, maybe honestly, like probably mid-February to February, I think they were kind of running on fumes in some sense. You know, they tried to shake up some of their lines. Their fourth line and the third line kept on switching a little bit. D pairs especially were the biggest inconsistencies for the Capitals. Their blue line just really wasn't in sync. Uh, head coach Todd Reardon tried to shuffle a few things around. Michael Kevney, who's always, you know, been paired with John Carlson since that cup run, had a lot of inconsistencies with his game. He talked about it a couple of days ago, actually, with us. And, you know, that forced him to go down to the third pair. You acquire Brendan Dillon to try to bolster that line. So they started to see some, you know, semblance of maybe some consistency there with the defense to try to help their game. But Overall, I mean, you're totally right. They kind of sputtered there at the end, and it really didn't seem like the Capitals team that we were used to. 
yeah, I wonder if it's maybe a good thing then that they got to have this break. Obviously not good for the world, but if they're maybe a bit <laughs> of an older team and they were starting to run out of gas, now they get to come in fresh. And if they could have a start like they did starting the season, then this playoffs is going to go very well. And I'd imagine one of the keys to this whole thing is Alex Ovechkin, who's coming off another amazing regular season where he scored 48 goals in 68 games, tied David Pasternak for the Rocket Richard Trophy. And like to me, like let's be real, like Ovi played two fewer games than Pasternak and he, had, he got suspended for skipping the All-Star game, which always annoys me. So in my mind, he deserves the trophy all by himself because <laughs> he totally would have scored a goal in that game. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do think he would have gotten it um, solely there. And I think he was kind of on a roll there. Obviously, he scored 700 goals this season. He just was kind of feeling it. So who knows what would have really happened at the end of the season. But I think a lot of Washington fans for sure were upset that they kind of stopped all uh, statistics <laughs> for the regular season, saying that he was short. Two goals again to 50. Right. Well, I guess he has a lot of these trophies. We could share yeah, one yeah. with Pasternak. And he'll get his own again next year. Yeah, it's okay. And if you look at his 48 goals this year, if you convert that to an 82-game pace, he was pacing for almost 58 goals if he would have played 82 games, which would have been, I'm saying, the second highest of his career behind only that amazing 65-goal campaign, which was 12 years ago now. Like, how is it that Ovechkin, at age 34, was pacing for one of the best goal-scoring seasons of his career? Like, Aren't players supposed to generally like slow down as they approach their mid-30s like how much longer should we expect Ovechkin to continue to be able to do this yeah you know it's kind of crazy just watching him you know night in night out even at practice like there's a reason he's a superstar right there's a reason why he is so good and honestly at the end of the day he just loves hockey he loves playing he loves going out on the ice like you know now he's a dad of two he really wants you know his especially his older son Sergei to kind of remember watching him play on the ice so you know I think he does want to go after Gretzky's record. I think the conversion rate is probably like four years, 45-ish goals. Maybe you could say five years uh, for him to catch that record, you know, depending if he slows down or not. But I I think he's going to go for it. Um, obviously, we can talk about the capitals and the contract extension and how that'll all work later. Um, but overall, just why Obi's so good. I think it's just the pure love of the game. He really loves it. He will celebrate his own goal the same as a Tom Wilson goal or a fourth line goal. Like he just loves to play hockey. <laughs> nice. And I guess that, that just drives him to make sure he's at the top shape and just continue to do this. I, I'm yeah, wondering, yeah, I wonder how long he's going to be able to just keep putting up these 45 goal seasons. Like you say, four more years of 45 goals will beat the Gretzky record. But normally you don't see like a 38 year old, 39 year old scoring that many goals. <laughs> but if anyone could, you, we've also never seen Ovechkin before. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to watch just to see like how his goal progression will go. I think this year, a lot of people are using it kind of as a, I guess, a meter to see, okay, how many goals can he score this year? And that's kind of a, maybe he can score the same amount for the next three to four years. And then, you know, he's off like breaking records. He almost has another 50 goal season. And you're like, okay, maybe Ovechkin isn't slowing down this year. Like, even though maybe he's a little slower on the ice, he can still score. He can still stand there and score. Obviously the power play is huge for him, but yeah, Alex Ovechkin is a different animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember like trying to work it out like a couple years ago and thinking about this beating Gretzky's record. I was thinking, okay, if he could get like 45 next year, then 40, <laughs> then 35. And I was like sort of working him down as I assumed yep. he'd regress, but hasn't happened yet. So what is the plan right now? Or I guess no one knows, but what's your sense? Because this contract's going to be over. I've heard some very rude people saying that maybe Ovechkin <laughs> will want to go back to Russia or something to finish his career there. Do you have a sense of if he's planning to reset sign in Washington? You know, we asked uh, Alex the first day of training camp, you know, if he's even thinking of an extension right now, because he is eligible to sign. Uh, you know, I'm sure talks have been there with Brian McCollin, but he said, you know, he's not even thinking about it. He's not even thinking about an extension right now. He just wants to go out and win another cup. Um, but just kind of seeing Alex's progression and obviously knowing that he wants to play long enough to for his kids to kind of see him play. I think an extension will be signed. I think Backstrom's extension in the middle of the season really helped uh, Ovechkin in this right. case, just seeing kind of that benchmark of, okay, Nick's going to be around for X amount of years. Maybe I can sign the same amount basically of years so I can stay with him. Um, so yeah, I would expect Alex Ovechkin to resign with the Capitals. Okay, sure. great. <laughs> That's great to hear. Uh, also, I've said it on the podcast before. If any player injures Alex Ovechkin while he's going for this record, that's going to become my new least favorite player. So if anyone cares about that, that's out there. Uh, so, of course, you brought up Nicholas Backstrom, who's been a big part of why Ovechkin's been able to score all these goals over his career. He's been glued to Ovechkin, a big part of all of his success. 
but over the past few seasons, we've had a new contender getting quite a lot of time to play with Ovechkin on the top line of Evgeny Kuznetsov. And this season, though, the Caps, for the most part, were running a top line of Ovechkin, Backstrom, Wilson. That's what they went with most of the way. Kuznetsov was generally centering the second line with Verona and Oshi, save for a hot minute when he even got bumped to the third line, I recall. And Lars yes. Eller, but that didn't last. Uh, yes. <laughs> Experiment. And then... Uh, as a close follower of your tweets, I don't know if you know, we have an account called at game day lines and we retweet okay. all of the line combination tweets from I there. Love that. <laughs> and we noticed that coach Todd Reardon made a change. It was a uh, February 21st was the first time you tweeted a line with Kuznetsov on the top line with Ovechkin and Wilson. And then Backstrom was playing with Verona and Oshi. And that's how things sat for the rest of the season. It's also what we've been seeing in practice over the past few days, including today. I saw you tweeted the lines. It was still Kuznetsov with Ovechkin and Wilson. So do you know, the motivation for why Todd Reardon chooses to put Ovi with Backstrom or with Kuznetsov at any given time and like any insight to why they have Ovi and Backstrom separated right now going into this playoff run? Yeah, for well, when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, they had it was the Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Wilson mm. line at the top there. And so I think a lot of people were always wondering where that line was again. And, you know, Reardon made that switch. You're right at the end of February. And that was kind of when the Capitals were inconsistent. Like we talked about earlier, they really weren't hitting their stride. Offense was kind of dried up. So I think, honestly, that was probably Todd Reardon saying, hey, let's just try this and see if we can spark some offense. And honestly, I think Backstrom works really well with Verona and Oshie on that second line. Backstrom's obviously a very calming uh, person there on the second line. He can obviously dish it out to Verona and Oshie. Oshie's always in front of the crease, can always, you know, tip in a lot of pucks into the net. And so it kind of makes sense to have them on the second line. And then, you know, Ovechkin and Kuznetsov work well together. And then you have Wilson on the right, who's obviously going to, protect Ovechkin and Kuznetsov there. So, you know, Reardon really just does it for sparks in the offense. If he sees that Ovechkin and Backstrom, you know, work together well for a couple of games, he's probably going to leave them. If he thinks that Backstrom is actually a better center just for Veron and Oshie and how they play, um, that's what he's going to do. But yeah, for right now, I mean, it works. And I think... I think you're going to see it stick that way until something else happens. Oh, interesting. So I guess he has the option to always fall back, but I didn't yeah. remember that. That And on the last cup run, Ovechkin was with Kuznetsov, so you might as well try that again for now. <laughs> if you had to bet like next season, which who's going to be centering Ovechkin for the majority of the season? It sounds like you're thinking it's going to be Kuznetsov unless it's really not working out. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think they have the luxury of being able to flip all the centers. You know, we haven't even talked about Lars Eller, the third line center and, you know, Lars can basically step in for Kuznetsov or Backstrom on the first or second lines. And so I think the Capitals just have a luxury of being able to have so many centers yeah. and they can all just go in and out. And obviously they've been together for so long. Like we've talked about, they know each other's tendencies so well. Yeah. And I guess they also even have Connor McMichael coming up who we'll talk yep. about in a little <laughs> bit. So yeah, very lucky for them to be so stacked down the middle. Uh, though going back to Kuznetsov, he actually had kind of a roller coaster season, like away from Ovechkin at the start playing on the second line. He was flying with 42 points in his first 42 games. And then it seems like he hit a wall offensively, like around the middle of January. He only ended up managing 10 points in his final 21 games. He missed three games with an injury in that stretch. Uh, one especially concerning thing that I noticed for Kuznetsov though was during that stretch there were a number of games where he was bumped from the top power play and Jacob Verana took his spot there which I'd imagine doesn't help when you're trying to keep up a point per game pace so do you have any idea what happened during those last couple of months for Kuznetsov to slow down so much and eventually get bumped from the top power play and do you think that this top power play spot is in jeopardy going into the playoffs in next season yeah I would say I don't think the at least Kuznetsov spot is in jeopardy for the power play unit one I think when Rudin tried to kind of switch things up and put Verona in, the power play just wasn't working overall. Their zone entries were not working. Nothing was really happening. Um, I think they had a lot of shorthanded goals against, uh, which obviously is not good uh, for this team that has so many weapons on the power play. You would expect them to score a decent amount of times. Um, but, you know, Rudin always said it's not always about scoring in that power play situation. It's how well he moved the puck around, and they just weren't doing that. Um, so, you know, Verona obviously is one of those up and coming players. He's great from the other circle and Ovechkin's on that other side. And so they kind of gave Jake a shot and said, Hey, you know what, you know, you're a really good goal scorer, uh, but you don't get a ton of minutes, honestly, on the ice to do that. So let's just try you on this first power play unit. And, you know, he did well, obviously he's not on it all the time and not like Kuznetsov, but I think it did work. But at the end of the day, that's Kuznetsov's spot. And if he can prove that he, you know, 
can work properly in that moment and everyone knows their jobs, then he's going to, he's going to keep it uh, in the playoffs and next season. Oh, I see. So yeah, I feel kind of bad for Jacob Verona because he just had this amazing <laughs> season. I guess I don't feel too bad for him, but he had this breakout in his fourth year in the league, 52 points in 69 games. It's a 62 point, 82 game pace. He was actually trending even higher most of the way. Uh, he kind of slowed down at the end, which I guess it's a theme with this Caps team. He only had three points in his final 10 games. It was still a great season. And that 62 point pace is like even more impressive to me because like you said, he didn't play that much. Like He only averaged less than 15 minutes of ice time per game. And I took a look at the league scoring leaders and Verana's 52 points ranked him 64th in the league but if you look at the time on ice column like looking through the league's leading scorers everyone around Verana's spot is like at 18 plus minutes of ice time per game there's a couple like 16s in there but definitely no one like less than 15 minutes I saw like between like 90 and 180 there's like a handful of players who played less than 15 minutes a game but Verana really oh. stands alone it makes really makes you wonder like what would this guy do if he was playing like 18 minutes a game if he was playing on the top power play I feel like this could be a uh, you know point per game player potentially if you just extrapolate those numbers uh, but it sounds like you're like do you have any sense of why he doesn't play more like even if he's not on the top power play like why doesn't he get that many minutes and do you think that that's going to change soon and should we be expecting like yet another breakout season for him once he could you know break that 15 minute market into the 16 17 territory yeah I definitely think he could have another breakout year next year um obviously he doesn't play you know, a lot of the reasons for the minutes is he just doesn't play power play time. And the Capitals right. are on the power play so much. So those guys do get way more minutes. Verona doesn't play on the PK. Again, the Capitals were on PK a lot this season with so many penalties, especially in the beginning and probably the late end of the year. So really, he doesn't, all he plays is the second power play unit and then his normal ice time. And all the rest of those guys get some major power play and PK time. Um, I think there's a stat. I can't remember it now, but I'm pretty sure almost all of Verona's goals were even strength. And oh. that was a, basically atop the league with Pasternak and a couple of those guys. And again, that just shows that super impressive with the time given to him on the ice. But you're right. If he is in that first play power play unit, you know, maybe in the circle opposite Ovechkin, that could be a crazy, crazy duo there. <laughs> Yeah, I guess as these players get older on Washington, eventually those opportunities will come for right. him. And I, I'd be very excited for him. Like if there's like a trade or something in the offseason and one of these top six guys or like top power play guys leaves, I would be very excited for Verona next year. But like even just what he did this year, like did you see anything change in his game for him to have this big breakout over what he did last year when he was closer to like a 40 point guy compared to almost 60? Yeah, honestly, I think he's just growing up. Like, he's still a young kid. Um, he's still, like, you know, learning the systems. I think this year he just really hit his stride. He had his first uh, career hat trick this season, uh, which was fun to watch. And I just think for him, he's really starting to understand everything and he's getting more opportunities. I think also, you know, having some really, really good guys around him, some veteran guys around him, just kind of coaching him through it. Um, I think that's really helped him. But I mean, I think everybody around the team knew that and knows that Jacob Rana is a very good player. And I think he'll continue to be a very good player um, for years to come. But yeah, as of right now, I mean, the Capitals are so stacked. By the time you say the name Jacob Verana, you've said like a million other guys ahead of him. So I, I think it'll be interesting uh, moving forward. <laughs> Yeah, especially, yeah, like we said, we have Connor McMichael, maybe some other prospects <laughs> eventually coming up. But right now, it doesn't seem like there's any room in the top six, especially because one spot is being taken by Tom Wilson, who's another guy who's really broken out in the past couple of seasons. 26-year-old Tom Wilson is now coming off a career-high 44 points in 68-game seasons. That's a 53-point pace if he would have gone the rest of the way. And of course, what makes Wilson like such a unicorn, at least in fantasy, but I imagine <laughs> in the league as well, is he's able to put up these solid point totals while also being among the league leaders in hits and penalty minutes his 253 hits this year ranked him third in the league uh, his 93 pims ranked him ninth and like tom wilson was always bringing the hits and pims ever since he was drafted but for the mm -hmm. first four seasons of his, of his career he was like a low minute bottom sixer never managed more than 23 minutes in a season and then seemingly out of nowhere to me like i recall like when barry trotz put wilson on that line with ovechkin for that 2018-19 playoff run uh it was like really surprising that he was able to hold the spot i remember on the podcast we were saying yeah so whatever they're trying him there for a little bit but i'm sure it won't last and now it's like two years later and wilson's just put up two straight 50 plus point pace seasons playing with ovechkin and either baxter or kuznetsov on the top line so i guess my question about wilson it's kind of like a chicken versus egg thing like did something in his game change like as a 24 year old that led to him getting the promotion and then leading to the success or is it just the fact that since he's on that top line he's having this offensive success and like a lot of players would be able to produce like this if they were there 
Yeah, honestly, I think Wilson's game just really improved dramatically offensively um, over the years. We did get that top line promotion. Obviously, you also talk about, you know, his stature. He's like 6'4", huge guy. Obviously, you're right, plays really, really physical, really, really aggressive. But his style as a power forward, he's just able to create so much space and kind of carve out that space close to the net, which gives, you know, an Ovechkin or Backstrom Kuznetsov more space to work. And I mean, at least for the last few years, you're right, since the cup, he's just really worked well in that role. And I think he just opens up space. He's good offensively. He's good at the net. Um, So, yeah, I think to answer your question, his overall game developed and he was able to go on that top line. And then now on the top line, it's even developing even further. Wow. Yeah. I, I remember when he first got there, my co-host Brian was like, you know, it's not going to last. And, you know, like he's more of a Pims guy. I think Brian actually kind of doesn't like Tom Wilson because some of the bad <laughs> penalties and like things that have caused him to be suspended over the years. But uh, like, you can't forget that he was a first round pick and I guess for a reason. And now we're mm-hmm. seeing why. Do you think that that spot is secure for him for the next few years? Like, is there anyone coming up challenging for that top line spot? Or do you think he's got it and he'll be able to hold it for as long as he doesn't, you know, blow it? Yeah, I I think it's definitely his spot. Uh, I really can't think of another person to put, especially up next to an Ovechkin, just because, again, like he creates so much space and he's able to kind of give Ovechkin the time to do what he does. Um, You know, maybe Raiden tries out a couple of different combos just to see, but definitely as of right now, that's Wilson's spot and he should have it for as long as possible. Cool. Yeah, I guess it reminds me of Zach Cassian, who gets to play with mm-hmm. McDavid over in Edmonton. Yep. Though I would say, I guess Cassian's kind of the poor man's Tom Wilson at this point, because <laughs> Tom Wilson's been doing this for a while. For uh, a bit, yeah. <laughs> and then I guess, yeah, I, I brought him up before, Connor McMichael. I'm curious about him. Like, all the talk about Baxter and Kuznetsov that we've had, like, there is this other exciting center in the system. The Caps 2019 25th overall pick, Connor, don't call me McDavid McMichael. Uh, <laughs> he's coming off a phenomenal season in the OHL. He had 47 goals, 102 points, and only 52 games. That was third in the league scoring in the AHL this past season. Uh, and this 19-year-old also had a great showing at the World Junior Championships. He had seven points in seven games. So I got to imagine the Caps must be pretty excited about having landed another potential gem like late in the first round. Like John Carlson was 27th overall. Kuznetsov was 26th. Ilya Samsonov was 22nd. Like, look at the scouting. It's, it's very impressive. And like, I, am I correct in assuming that they're very excited about what they saw from McMichael this year? Yeah, definitely. They're very excited about Connor. Obviously, having a 100-point season in the OHL is great to begin with. Um, But obviously, his development, they feel like, has gone really well. He's at training camp right now. They're expected to bring him to Toronto as an option. Um, I think a lot of people would say that he would not be on a uh, playoff roster if this whole pandemic alternate reality didn't happen. Um, So this is really giving him a shot if something does happen. You know, if players get hurt, if, you know, the coronavirus is so you know, kind of crazy right now. You just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how many bodies you need. So maybe we see McMichael make his NHL debut in the playoffs and he'd be the first cap to do so since Tom Wilson oh, in 2013, cool. which is kind of crazy. Um, but that's kind of like a worst case scenario. Obviously you have Travis Ford as your 13th forward who is probably going to fill that role obviously first. But going back to your question, yes, the Caps are super excited about McMichael. They really think though probably not another couple of years until he's ready to actually have a full-time role in the NHL. Um, but at, I mean, again, at this point, you have a hundred plus points in the OHL, like what else are you going to do? Um, you can't really prove anything else there, but yeah, sure. he is 19. He's young, still learning. And, you know, even seeing him on the ice, he's not as big as some of the other guys, you know, you see a Daniel Sprong who they got um, in the trade for Christian juice for prospects. And he looks more, kind of like built like an NHL guy. So we'll see with McMichael and how he'll do. But I mean, definitely guys are high on him. Wow. So, but it sounds like you're saying you think he's going to probably go to the AHL next year and not like go right up to the NHL. Yeah, I would say definitely with juniors still like up in the air and the uncertainty of that. Obviously we don't know what's going to happen there with seasons, but I would say development wise, he still needs, I mean, ideally I think they would want him to need a couple more years, especially because they're so stacked at center. Uh, on the team right now <laughs> yeah that's a good point like wh- you can't really fit him in the top six without yeah, bumping like a, <laughs> a, yeah is there any potential that he could eventually like play wing or someone would go to the wing like what happens if he's ready to come to the nhl and the caps still have like backstrom and kuznetsov and lars eller or even not lars eller on the team like is, is there any plan there or would it just be a battle between all of these guys to try to get top six minutes 
Yeah, McMichael can definitely play wing. Uh, Rudin was kind of talking about that the other day. Obviously, he's flexible. Obviously, center is his natural position, but he can go over and play wing if he wants. So it'll be interesting to see where they would slot him if they want him up here. But as of right now, it's just it's kind of like a gridlock at center. You have four really solid centers, four centers that are locked in, and four centers that I don't really see leaving um, in the near, near future. <laughs> Right. Very good for this Caps team that they have these great centers. We've talked about some good wingers. They also have the league's leading point defenseman this past year in John Carlson, who's just just had this like insane season. Like he had already established himself as an elite point producing defenseman in the league. He had two straight, like around 70 point seasons in 2017, 18, 2018-19. But then he was on another level this past year. He had 75 points in 69 games at the end. So that would would have been an 89 point pace if he played a full season over a point per game and to make it even more impressive i've seen only like 26 of his 75 points came on the power play so it's not as if you could just say oh he just you know feasted (laughs) on that top power play like he was getting a lot of points at even strength so like at this point like do we need to consider john carlson as one of like the top offensive defensemen or maybe the top offensive defenseman in hockey right now like i'll admit i've always kind of thought yeah john carlson's great but you know look where look who he's playing with like look at that sweet (laughs) power play gig like i'm sure lots of defensemen would do well there but after this season like how good good is Carlson compared to other defensemen in the league yeah I mean I think the biggest talking point with Carlson is the power play and you're like oh if you're feeding it to Ovechkin or you're feeding it to back yeah. you're feeding it to Kinect- Kuznetsov or Oshi. like there's so many guys that he's feeding it to but you're at the end of the day I mean he was crazy good to start the year I think it caught a lot of people by surprise honestly I think everyone knew he kind of had that in him offensively he's a great defensive defenseman um you know but I think I, even I did a story when he was producing so many points just kind of you know, like talking about the definition of an offensive defenseman and a defensive defenseman. And a lot of guys just are just like, I'm just a good defenseman, you know, like I can do both. I'm a two-way guy. And so I think with John, you know, he definitely is one of the best offensive defensemen. I mean, obviously I think you have to think in San Jose um, with Carlson Burns and all them, like I think they might uh, take the cake there, but you know, John's definitely trending in that direction and has been for a really long time. Um, but again, I think a lot of people always point to who he's playing with and that's kind of a knock on his game perceivably. I don't think so. I think it's just, you know, he can still produce well among some of the, you know, great players in the league. Yeah. I mean, like I, on one hand, like I would be curious to see how he would do if he was on another team, but at <laughs> yeah, the same time, like hypothetical, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure he's very happy where he <laughs> yeah. is. I am curious, though, like, let's say John Carlson, worst case scenario, like, let's say he gets injured for a stretch, like, who is next in line? Like, who do you think currently would be the guy that would step into his even strength and power play role? Like, there's not a player that really jumps out to me on the caps as like another really strong offensive defenseman. Yeah, I think John Carlson getting hurt is like the worst, worst, worst case scenario for the Capitals. Like, it's, it's almost like I would say you can't even replace John Carlson's production and who he is for that blue line. Um, the the next closest is Dmitry Orlov. I mean, he's right. been there the next closest. He's obviously has a voice in that room. Um, but, you know, he just, John is so unique in what he does and how he's able to produce and how he's able to create. Um, it'd be very, very hard for the Capitals, I think, to kind of make any run in the playoffs without a healthy completely healthy John Carlson. Um, But Orlov for sure would fill both of those roles. And I think he would do well, but no John is, is a problem. Right. So maybe if Orlov was there, maybe he could be like a a 50 ish point defense, but he wouldn't be close to like what Carlson would do. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. So maybe he should be, I guess you never talk about someone like a John Carlson, like the heart trophy conversation, because you know, Ovechkin is there. Mm -hmm. If someone's going to win it, it's probably going to be Ovi. But like the way you're saying it, it sounds like Carlson's like such a core part of this team just because of lack of, you know, comparable player to ever take his place. So hopefully he'll stay healthy. (laughs) Uh, like they did draft, I see a defenseman in 2018, 31st overall, Alexander Alexeyev. I'm not saying he's going to be like the next John Carlson. But I'm mm-hmm. curious to know what your thoughts are on him. He played his first pro season this year in Hershey of the AHL, put up a respectable looking 21 points in, in 58 games. Is he someone we should be expecting to come over to the NHL soon? I saw you were tweeting that he and Samsonov have like haven't joined training camp yet, which on one hand is like, I guess, concerning that he's not there, but also the fact that yeah. they were considering him to be there must mean he's someone <laughs> like, you know, on their, on their radar. So like, what's the current thoughts about Alexeyev? 
Yeah, the Capitals are super high on Alexiev. Um, it's pretty unfortunate this season. He wasn't even at the Capitals training their first training camp before the season because um, it looked like he went through a concussion protocol during the prospect showcase. Uh-huh. So he didn't even get a chance to compete in training camp or show anything in training camp. Uh, this training camp, as you said, he hasn't even been able to hit the ice. So really the Capitals haven't seen him in their group setting with kind of those veteran guys for the entire year. Um, so that's kind of bad, but obviously, you know, he did play in Hershey. You did see that. So the Capitals, again, kind of like McMichael are very high on him. They see a lot of really great things in him. It's just kind of hard to evaluate um, when the, he hasn't been at, you know, two of the big training camps in the last year. Right. So it's, it's hard to say at this point, like, yeah. do, you th- do you think that like the idea is that he's going to come up and be like maybe that Orlov spot eventually, like second power play, like next best defenseman on the team? Or, or is that like too high of a comparable at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think right now it's still super early in his development and progress, but he's one of those. I mean, just the body type that the Capitals look for in their defensemen. I mean, he's like six, four. 210, 220, or something like that. He's almost like a Brendan Dillon. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the Capitals love that type of defenseman. They love big, physical, fast. So I could see him becoming um, a really, really core piece in that defense. But I think just right now, with you know the injury he had uh, before and then you know whatever he's dealing with right now, I think it's just kind of hard to guess and tell right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess with prospects it's hard, especially if it's not like he was picked first in the in the draft. Like he was down <laughs> at the bottom of the first round. So but the Caps are just so good with these late picks. So I'm always like curious what they're gonna do. There's a sure. the other player on the team. I don't know if people remember that he's there. Ilya Kovalchuk is on the Capitals yeah, right now. Plot twist, yeah. <laughs> How's he looking in training camp right now? Like I don't it doesn't look like he's gonna be cracking the top six. Like I recall when he got traded, I was thinking like imagine if Kovalchuk and Ovechkin are on the same line or on the same power play that would be so cool but it seems like he's more looked at as a depth guy at this point yeah he's for sure a depth guy at this point uh you know Raiden's tried the full Russian line of Ovechkin Kuznetsov Kovalchuk after um you know a PK situation uh just because none of those guys play PK they're super super fresh so they go out on the ice and Todd basically just gives them a chance uh, to go out and score and it's worked um for the Capitals. So maybe you see that some in the playoffs and special situations, but as far as, you know, everyday lines, he's a third line guy right now for the Capitals. He's on the right side with Carl Haglund and Lars Eller, and he's really balanced out the Capitals third and fourth lines. And they desperately needed that uh, at the trade deadline. And now you're kind of seeing that offensive spark uh, throughout the lineup. So yeah, for him, I mean, it's Yulia Kovalchuk. I just think it's kind of fun um, to see him play with obviously the Capitals. So we'll see how he does in the playoffs, but uh, he made it very clear. He came to the Caps wanting to win a cup. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. It'll be really fun to see. It's like a cool storyline just to have this guy who came back to the NHL was kind of like a disappointment. Then he sort of had this resurgence on Montreal this year after getting traded there before slowing down. Now he's on Washington. It it reminds me also when I did my interview about the Pittsburgh Penguins, I had totally forgot that Patrick Marlowe was there. I was like, (laughs) some of these guys like, Oh, that's cool. Let's see how they could do in the playoffs. Uh, okay, I guess I want to obviously finish in net. A very interesting situation going on. We've got another longtime homegrown capital, Braden Holpe, who was in the midst of like this amazing career until like I guess a couple of seasons ago, his place started to like fall off a little bit like starting actually in that 2017-18 cup winning season. Like people may recall Philip Grubauer took over as the number one goalie for the team down the stretch. And actually, I believe Grubauer started game one of the playoffs, but eventually Holtby took back over the job and the rest was history. He won the cup. <laughs> He's a hero again. Uh, then in 2018-19, he had a decent, but like not head-turning season, 9-11 save percentage, far from his like 9-20 plus save percentages of the previous few seasons. And then this year, unfortunately, uh, I was getting some cup run flashbacks of Holtby <laughs> because there was again a stretch where he was bumped. It looked like Ilya Samsonov the 23-year-old rookie, it looked like he was taking over. He was getting a bunch of starts in January. But then, like, right by the end of the season, it looked like Holpe was starting to get starts again, was looking pretty good in, like, his last, like, three or four games. Uh, COVID hit, uh, so we didn't actually get to see what was going to happen. I was very curious, like, to know how this was going to play out and if it was going to be Holpe or Samsonov leading the team into the playoffs. I saw, though, that you wrote an article just recently saying that Todd Reardon said it's Holpe's job to lose. So is that the sense right now? Unless like Holpe stinks, he's going to be the goalie. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's for sure Braden Holtby in net for the playoffs. Uh, I think you'll see a couple different options in round robin exhibition game stuff, but that's probably just to get reps. It's just to make sure if something does happen to Holtby that the other goalies are ready. Uh, but yeah, like Todd Rudin said, it's Holtby's job to lose. He has full faith in him. He was really hitting his stride uh, there before the pause, even though he had a couple of ups and downs earlier in the year. Um, I would say with Samsonov, I think the Capitals were really just trying to put him in a bunch of situations. Uh, really challenging situations just to see how he would react and how he would play. You want to test a young goalie like that. I mean, he's only a rookie. You want to see what he could do if he was had to be put in a playoff situation. So a lot of the season was, you know, giving Samsonov those kind of big game shots and seeing how he would perform under pressure. Um, and for the most part, he did really well. It was just, you know, Brayden Holtby is Brayden Holtby and he's the Capitals number one goaltender. <laughs> Right. It's kind of like I remember I, I did an interview about the Vegas Golden Knights and like Robin Leonard had a much better season than Marc-Andre Fleury. But then like it was basically the same, like, but it's Fleury, like he's the goalie. And I guess with Holpe, it's like unless Holpe really blows it, he's like their guy. He's won them a cup. And Samsonov, I guess, will have many years, but it's good for them. And I guess it makes sense that they wanted to put Samsonov in these situations to see how he'll do because they have this big decision to make in the offseason because Holpe is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Like, do you think the Caps are ready at this point to let Holpe walk and have Samsonov be their number one goalie as soon as next year? Or like, maybe they won't have a choice. I guess Holpe has to want to come back, but any sense right now of what's going to happen there? Yeah. You know, obviously Holpe does want to come back if the numbers work out. Um, but he knows that with, especially with the flat salary cap next year, um, that kind of mucks a lot of things up for the capitals and a lot of the teams that really play close, like close to the cap. Um, so, you know, I think at the very beginning of the year, everyone thought, okay, this is Holpe's last year. Samsonov's going to be in net, you know, for years to come. It's going to be kind of a weird, awkward transition period. Holpe's going to be in the playoffs, so it'll be fine. They'll say bye. Uh, I honestly think with this pandemic, maybe there's a little hesitance. Maybe there's a little bit of pause there. Um, does Braden Holpe agree to maybe a one-year extension or something like that mm. just because the Capitals aren't positive in Samsonov? And can Samsonov actually you know, be a starting goaltender in the NHL next season with zero playoff experience. If everything you think goes to plan this year, or, you know, he's only had how many or so games um, in the NHL last season. So I think COVID kind of disrupts some of those plans, but at the end of the day, it's going to be about money. Um, it's going to be about can the Capitals afford Braden Holtby? Is Braden Holtby going to get a better offer elsewhere? I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I think it's going to be longer and for more money than the Capitals can give him. So I think it's going to be really interesting um, to see how it goes, but just with all these different elements of COVID flat salary cap, um, it's going to be kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. It seems like it would be in the capital's best interest. If Holby's willing to sign a one-year deal, like even for big money, that, that seems great. Cause then you could have sort of Samsonov maybe take over as the starter or they go 50, 50. But like you said, like you'd think Holby's going to be able to get an offer for like a, a long-term contract, unless like this, the whole landscape has changed so much because of the virus that now, like, you know, maybe other teams aren't willing to spend a lot of money on a goalie long-term. We also have the Seattle expansion coming up that I guess would, have to be considered like if they signed to Holtby to a long-term deal, like who would, would they not protect him, I guess, and then let him potentially go to Seattle? Like, have, has there been any discussion yet about what Washington's planning to do with this upcoming expansion draft? Is there any like maneuvering they're trying to do around there, of, like who they're planning to expose? Yeah, there hasn't been any like public, I guess, maneuvering. I think like in my own personal opinion, um, I really feel like Brain Holby won't sign again with the team next season. I think mm. he's gone. He'll go somewhere else. I think Samsonov is going to be their goalie. So they're going to protect Samsonov in that expansion draft, obviously. Um, a lot of the talk has been around TJ Oshie, um, kind of leaving him exposed there. You know, TJ's from the Seattle area. He's from Everett. Um, so you could go back there and obviously would lead a team out there. Uh, his contract, you know, just for his age and those numbers, I'm not sure if the Capitals would want uh, to re-sign him after you know his contract expires, but we'll see how it goes. But definitely um, a name that Seattle should probably be looking for is TJ Oshie, and then maybe one or two of Orlov or Michael Kepney. Uh, I'm sure right now. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I guess all of those are good options. Oshie's very interesting. Like he's like, he actually has, it looks like a lot of years left on this contract. Mm -hmm. uh, like what? One, two, three, four, five, six years. Yeah. A pretty good price. 5.75 million. If he like can continue to be this, you know, 60 ish point player that he's been the past Production. few seasons. 
production is the big uh, question mark with Oshi. Can he keep up the production like an Alex Ovechkin can keep up production uh, for the next five or six years? I, you know, I think that's the really big question mark with the Capitals team. And, you know, is Oshi expendable? Is he not? Uh, I think we'll see. But, you know, then again, you also have those, you know, defensemen, Dmitry Orlov. You have, you know, is Brendan Dilling going to resign with the Capitals? Is he going to walk? There's so many different uh, question marks there. I think Michael Kempney is, again, also another option if you want to keep an Oshi. But I could see Oshi being exposed there. Right. I guess that would make sense. And that would be a cool get for the Seattle team. Oshi could be like the star of the team, potentially. <laughs> Uh, this has been so much fun. We've like burned through all of the players I want to talk talk about. And uh, yeah, the time has flown by. I guess one question I definitely want to ask you before we go, I've been asking all the different beat writers, if you could pick one capital that you expect to be like the biggest positive surprise next season, like someone who you know maybe is not as high on people's radars as he will be like at the end of next year. And then on the other hand, a player who you think might be the biggest disappointment next year that people are expecting maybe too much from and they're not going to get what they thought. Ooh, um... I guess biggest positive, I, I've been saying for a lot of these questions, Jacob Verana, just because I feel like he's not completely like a well-known name over the league. Um, obviously, like, you know, we talked about, he obviously had a breakout year this year, but I think he can break out even more. So that's my like cop-out answer <laughs> for biggest positive would be Jacob Verana. Um, biggest disappointment, I feel like that's a tough one because again, so many of these guys like are veteran guys. Um, that have produced well. I think Kuznetsov's maybe one of those guys that is always likely to kind of be really streaky in season. But like when he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, it's cold. Um, so, you know, maybe you have a bigger stretch of that from Kuznetsov next season, kind of like we saw this year with that little downtime. But oh, that question kind of sums me. Uh-huh. Um, I guess Kuznetsov makes sense, like, even though you said that you think that power play one job is his, but it seems like if anyone, if they are going to shake something up, it seems like he's the guy that's first yeah. on the chopping block. So that must be a little bit concerning. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. I think, again, like all these guys have like so up and down seasons, like you can even look at a defenseman, right? Like a Michael Kempney, maybe he, you know, kind of reverts back. Uh, backwards next year and he's kind of being shuffled around and he's no longer with John Carlson on the top pair. So I think we'll see uh, how it goes. I think this playoffs will kind of tell a little bit more about that, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> right. Yeah. Actually, Kempney, I kind of forgot about him. Like he started this year, like crazy on fire. Like I guess he missed some games because of an yeah. injury and then he came in and he had like a point per game for like the first 10 games of the year. Like, where did that come from? Like, was he surprising even himself? Was it just playing with John Carlson? And so he was just getting in on all of his points. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say it's with John, uh, but no, I mean, Kempney and Carlson, I mean, that's what sparked, you know, the Stanley cup run. They played so well together. Um, obviously played well last year and then this year they kind of just continued and for Kempney, you know, he tore his left hamstring last year, had surgery last April and, you know, that surgery and recovery time was really supposed to take one full year and he was back on the ice regular in the lineup six months later. So Kempney was never fully, fully healed this season. You know, Todd Reardon said yesterday he could see him at times kind of wincing in pain, favoring that left side. Mm. And now, you know, Kempney is a year and four months-ish past his surgery. And he said, you know, he feels great. He feels confident. Um, He knows that he had a tough year. He knows that he kind of had some low energy during games and it was tough for him to kind of push through because that injury was still, you know, not fully healed right um but now you're getting a hundred percent healthy michael kempney for the playoffs and it could it could be interesting <laughs> yeah i guess another reason to be high on the caps if he could be <laughs> anything close to his i just checked 11 points in his first 11 games this year <laughs> before he turned back into michael kempney but uh <laughs> yeah thanks so much again for coming on the show this was so fun uh i guess people should definitely be following you on twitter uh like i said if they're following our game day lines they've already been seeing your line tweets but yeah do you want to tell people like uh how they can follow your work yeah for sure um i'm always on twitter so it's samantha j pell um yeah i basically post my whole entire life on twitter which is just <laughs> me at the rank all the time <laughs> in my what a dream job yeah i know right um i guess i'll be going up to toronto is the plan for playoffs so Hopefully we'll be posting a lot of content there. We'll be following the Capitals. So yeah, this was fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks again for coming on. I'll obviously link to your Twitter account in our show notes and also your articles over at the Washington Post. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this was a blast. Have a great rest of your night and good luck to the Capitals. I hope they do it again. I'm a, I'm a big Ovi fan. He's one of my favorite players. <laughs> 
it'll definitely be interesting for sure. Thanks again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much again, Samantha, for joining for this interview. That was a lot of fun. Again, people definitely need to be following at Samantha J. Pell on Twitter for all of your Capitals content. And I did throw out our at Game Day Lines Twitter account. We're back at it now, retweeting line combinations. You know, as you're preparing for your playoff pools, you want to know who's practicing on what line, right? And speaking of playoff pools, we are about to try something really fun. Every year, we do a playoff pool for keeping Carlson. And every year, it's always just been a box pool on office pools which is fun, but, you know, kind of basic. Everyone just picks a player from each box and whoever's most points at the end wins. We're going to try to do something a little more ambitious this year. So this might be crazy, but if you're up for something cool, then I think you should check this out. Basically, we're going to be doing a draft every single round. So you sign up, you're going to get in a league with uh, seven other people. So it's going to be eight-person divisions, we're calling it. And you're going to do a draft with these seven people. And then at the end of the first round, we're going to cut out the people who came in seventh and eighth and the top six move on to the next round where you do another draft with uh, different people will reshuffle the deck kind of like a poker tournament and you just keep on going all the way until there's going to be four teams left for the conference finals where it'll be the final draft and they'll be the ultimate winners. We're calling it like a survival elimination playoff pool. It'll be fun. We wrote all about it on our Keeping Carlson patron only Facebook group, which by the way, you could join for only like a buck a month. You can become a patron and read all about it. But if you're interested in playing in our playoff pool, just go to keepingcarlson.com slash playoff pool to sign up. And then we will send you an invite to your league and maybe you could go in and win a cool prize. First prize right now, we're thinking like a one of a kind Keeping Carlson hoodie that maybe like says your name or like something, you know, playoff pool champion, like something that'll make it really cool. So that's what we're currently thinking. You can let us know if you have another prize in mind, but I think that's a pretty good prize. Anyway, here's a fun fact I wanted to throw at you also before I close out the show. When we were talking about Jacob Verana, I pointed out how he had 62 points and averaged less than 15 minutes per game. And I was looking through uh, the players ranked from like 90 to 180, seeing how many other players in that range of scoring leaders also played fewer than 15 minutes per game. I said there was only a handful. Maybe you were wondering, who are those guys? So here they are. Here are the players. And again, you could stop and try to guess, test yourself. But try to guess the players who had more than 36 points this year, aside from Jacob Verana, who's the leader. So more than 36 points this year while playing 15 minutes or fewer per game. So here they are. Dominic Kubalik had 46 points. Uh, Nikita Gusev, 44 points. Robert Thomas, 42. Connor Garland, 39. Tyler Ennis, 37. And Martin Nichas. 36. That gets us to around 180th overall. And those are the players who played less than 15 minutes per game. So it just goes to show how impressive Jacob Verano was. He's like in crazy company when you look at where he's in the NHL standings and he played so few minutes. So I'm really excited to see what he'll be able to do. But okay, I guess let's cue the outro music right now and I can let you all get out of here. Go to bed, okay? So this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. Logos by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach, and the episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey's Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, HockeyRefs, HockeyViz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and of course, Samantha Pell's Twitter account and her articles over at the Washington Post. Again, that's at Samantha J. Pell on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you hanging out with me in the middle of the summer, now somehow approaching NHL playoffs. And we'll be back at you with another Beat Writer interview as soon as I can get it, hopefully within the next week. So until then, keep on keeping Carl Sand.